notice my voice is a little weaker than it normally is. I'm feeling totally fine. My voice just doesn't want to stay with me. So I'd appreciate prayers that I have a voice for both services. <laughs> but I really am so fired up about the word that the Lord has for all of us this morning. We're in a both and series. How many of you guys have been enjoying the both and series? Man, so, so good. We are living in a polarized culture that's wanting us to say either or pick a side. And if you choose one side, then that means the other side is evil. And if we're not careful, that polarized mindset can creep into our belief system and how we live as Christians. <clears throat> when so many truths in the Bible are a both and. Week one, Pastor Eric talked about the both and of truth and love, how God is the truth, but God is also love. And we had the Play-Doh when we mashed it together because you can't separate truth and love. They are a both and. Then last week, Pastor Eric talked about the natural and the supernatural and how together they're an explosive force for God. And we talked about how, man, God made the invisible things. He made the visible things. And how we have our part in the natural, right? To be integrous, to be healthy, to be um, <clears throat> diligent. But when um, we do the natural, God can add his super. And today, the, the title of my message this morning is, Who's at Your Table?, and it's a both and, and I'll explain that more in a minute. Can we talk about who's at your table? Can we talk about the table? Pulled out my sweater for the first time this morning because of the cold air. Think, starting to think about Thanksgiving and Christmas. I was a, a parent chaperone at my daughter Ella's fifth grade camp for a day this past week, and I got talking with one of the moms, found out that she has heritage, Lebanese heritage in her family, just like I do. We got talking about kibbe and hummus and tabbouleh and all of the good Mediterranean foods, and it got me thinking of my grandma, <clears throat> who was born and raised in Lebanon, and who could throw down a table like nobody's business. She's one of those type of people, I don't know if you know that type of people, I do, she grew grape leaves in her backyard. So anytime she wanted to make a grape leaf, she could just grab it. She had the grape leaves pre-made with the rice and the meat and everything. She always had grape leaves in the freezer just in case someone came over. And she had like a grocery store in her basement because she was always grabbing extra cans and boxed um, food. So when I think of someone who can throw down a table, I think about my grandma. <clears throat> Today we're talking about the both and of who's at your table. And the central scripture for this morning is found in Mark 2, <clears throat> 14 through 17. Talking about Jesus. <clears throat> it says, as he walked along... He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. <clears throat> and Levi got up and followed him. Now it happened, he was dining <clears throat> in Levi's house, that many tax collectors and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and the sinners, they said to his disciples, how is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? 
When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come not for the righteous, but for sinners to repentance. Love the scripture. First off, Jesus was dining. He was dining with sinners and believers. But first off, we're going to talk about the fact that he was dining. We see that a lot. Dining at the table was his method of um, ministry, which we'll talk about in a minute here. But secondly, he was dining with a mixed group. He was dining with the tax collectors and the sinners and his disciples, both and. Anytime we see Jesus doing something in scripture, it should beg the question, is that a part of my life too? Is what I see Jesus doing as our model, is that a part of my life too? And so it begs the question this morning, who is at your table? Who is at your table? Literally this morning, I'm asking, who have you been eating meals with lately? In the last year, who have you broken bread and drank wine or maybe juice with? Who's at your table? And maybe in this post-COVID world, maybe the first step is, are you eating with people? (laughs) Maybe that's step one. We need to start eating with people. Again, but who's at your table? Who are you eating and drinking with? Who's made it to your calendar? Who are you texting with? Who's on your text thread? Who are the contacts of the people that are in your life? Matthew 11, 19 says, the son of man came eating and drinking. And they said, look, a glutton and a wine bibbler, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Eating and drinking was central to the ministry of Jesus. It was his method of both discipleship and evangelism. The both and that we're talking about this morning is the both and of discipleship and evangelism. But who's at your table is a way cooler title. Would you guys agree? (laughs) Um, For many of us, eating and drinking is just a necessity. Like we eat and drink on the way to what we're doing. But for Jesus, it was central to his ministry central to discipleship and evangelism. In the book of Luke, there's over 50 recorded moments of Jesus eating and drinking. One scholar said that the book of Luke is essentially either Jesus on, on his way to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal, because that is how he did ministry. Um, the book of Matthew has 94 references of Jesus eating and drinking. If eating and drinking were done in necessity in Jesus' life, they wouldn't have been mentioned in the Gospels. But eating and drinking were mentioned so frequently because it was his method. It was the avenue that he built relationships, that he discipled believers, and that he reached out to the out to the out. Um, the people on the outside, the sinners, the tax collectors, people like that. 
And usually, <clears throat> in, in every culture, the table is usually a boundary marker. Usually the table shows who's in your in crowd and who has not been invited. And it was definitely that way when Jesus lived. For a Jew to be eating at a table with tax collectors and sinners was like appalling. Um, The Jews uh, believed that who you ate with could defile you. So in culture, what was a boundary mark, Jesus used as a bridge. And I love that about Jesus. Um, so tax collectors, we, we hear that word in the Gospels a lot. What is a tax collector? There's not like a modern day version of a tax collector nowadays. <clears throat> but tax collectors were so appalsive, or people were so appalled at tax collectors because they were people that exploited their, their own brother or sister, their own people in their community for profit. So think of someone in life, in the world, that makes a living by exploiting people in their community. And a person that, because we all believe that that is so morally wrong, it would be like, whoa, you're eating with who? I don't know. Maybe it's a human trafficker. Maybe it's a member of ISIS. I don't know. But people that are exploiting other people for their profit as their occupation. Those type of people Jesus had at his table. And that makes us really uncomfortable. And that's how uncomfortable it was for the people in the day and age that Jesus lived. Having meals with these types of people, breaking bread and drinking wine with these types of people. Jesus ate with the harlots. He ate with the liars. He ate with people who exploited other people. He ate with the poor, and he ate with the diseased. Don't you love that about Jesus? He was so not religious. He so did not care what the social norm was about who was at his table. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. And you can see that by who Jesus invited to his table. And maybe for this morning, it's too big of a leap for us to invite a human trafficker over or a member of ISIS, or we wouldn't even know where to go to find them, right? But what about starting to eat with people who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't believe like us, who don't live like us? What if we started to see the table as a bridge and not a boundary? Because culture really hasn't changed that much from Jesus' day. If you think about it, most of the time we're eating at the table with people who look, think, act, believe, speak like us. We'll talk specifically about the dynamic of both believers and non-believers being at the table in a minute. Um... But what about dining with someone who has a different political view than you? 
What about dining with someone with a different educational background or a different socioeconomic experience than you? What about eating with people that are different? Who's at your table? It should be a both and. I don't wanna let this moment pass without emphasizing the fact that like-minded community is so important. As a church, we are a like-minded community. We're like-minded in our faith. And when we gather on Sunday mornings, when we gather midweek in crews, when we gather around the table, it's priceless and it's essential and it strengthens us. It's a core part of what it means to be a believer that we gather. When you look at Jesus' life, he spent a considerable amount of time with his like-minded community of faith. Even from a young age, his parents, you guys, many of you guys know the story. His, he was lost for a couple days. I can't imagine that. He was lost for a couple days, and his parents found him in the temple learning from the teachers. And he said, I have to be about my father's business. From a child, he loved the faith community. He loved rubbing elbows with believers. You see that Jesus spent the bulk of his time um, with his faith community. And we, we talked about this a lot back during the COVID days when we were meeting house to house. But Acts 2, 46 is a great example of what does it look like to gather with like-minded believers. We've shared this a lot recently, but I'll share it again. So continuing daily <clears throat> in one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. They're meeting early. This is an early church scripture. They're meeting at the temple or at the church and house to house. Um, Like-minded community, community with believers was essential, is essential. It is a both and. It is hugely important that we are deeply rooted in our faith community. Jesus, if you look at the model of Jesus' relationships, you see that he had the three. He had Peter, James, and John that were his inner circle. He kind of told them, he told them more things than he told the other people. They got to experience more of his glory than the other people. He trusted them the most. They were his three. It's a great way to model what Jesus did, right? So this morning, who are your three? Your three I would, if you're a believer, I would encourage your, your three to be believers, that you're deeply like-minded, deeply connected. You trust them. You do life with them. Then Jesus had his 12 that he was with all the time. He was with the three a little bit more. But his 12, who are your 12? The people you're doing life with, the people you're eating with, the believers that are, you're texting, hey, can you pray for me? Hey, can you pray for this family member? Whatever it is, who are your 12? And then Jesus had his broad community. But in addition to that, he was intentional to have community with the tax collectors and the sinners. They were at his table. So who are those in your life that are far from God that you're breaking bread with? <clears throat> and isn't it interesting? It takes intentionality to be at a table and break bread with someone. You can befriend someone on social media. You can say happy birthday on social media when it's their birthday. You can have surface-level conversation or surface-level relationship 
with your coworkers or your neighbors or people that are in your life that are far from God, but actually inviting them over for a meal is very different, isn't it? Jesus did that. I'm convinced more than ever that the way to grow as believers and the way to reach the lost is through relationships built around the table. The table is essential for both discipleship, our spiritual growth, and evangelism, reaching those in our community that are so far from the Lord. The church has been using the table for thousands of years. The fastest growing churches in the world right now are not the churches with the biggest auditoriums or sanctuaries. It's the churches where the believers are using their table. The underground church around the world is growing because empowered believers are using their table to meet with other believers and to invite unbelievers to their table, into their life through relationship. We talked about this a lot during house to house during the pandemic. Do you guys remember that? There was a message I shared, Chip and Joe for Jesus. Let's open up our homes and have house-to-house gatherings because we didn't have a space to meet. And it was so rich and life-giving for that season. I'm bringing it up again because it's so central to being believers, that we're generous with our homes, that we're generous with our tables, that we're generous with our lives. Our inward strength as a church and our outward strength as a church reaching out into the community is directly correlated with who we are inviting to the table. And the early church leaders knew this. If you look throughout the New Testament, oh, there goes my holder. (laughs) Um, Okay. Um, Let me get a drink real quick. If you look throughout scripture, in the New Testament, this word hospitality was used. It doesn't sound like a super, like, spiritual word, hospitality. But the early church leaders knew that this was such an essential part of our spiritual growth, what we were doing around the table, When it came to individuals who were pursuing leadership within the church, there were certain requirements that we see in scripture. I want to show you guys one in the book of Titus. Titus 1, 7 through 9. It says this, talking about the requirements to be an overseer, a leader within the church. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined, and he must hold firmly the truth, uh, the truth wor- trustworthy message that has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. And so Titus is listing 13 different requirements for church leadership. And most of them were like, yeah, right on. They should know doctrine. They should um, be holy and blameless. 
They shouldn't be drunk. They shouldn't be dishonest. You're like, right on, Titus. And then it gets to hospitality, and you're like, yeah, I guess that'd be good. But hospitality hit one of the top 13 requirements to be an overseer. Um, This week, I've been preparing to teach on this for many, many weeks now. And um, Eric and I follow a church called Vu Church in Miami, Florida. And last week, Pastor Rich Wilkerson Jr. um, spoke on a similar topic that I was planning to teach on. And so some of the things that he shared in his message, I shared this morning because it was so good, but he taught on this scripture and he shared an illustration that I I relate with. I want to share it with you guys. He said he's been in church leadership for a long time. Eric and I have been in church leadership for a long time. And in our experience in church leadership, I've seen people get sat down because they weren't being living holy lives. Like, hey, you're a church leader, you should live a holy life. I've seen people get sat down because of dishonesty or drunkenness or whatever that might be. I've seen people get sat down for all of these things in the book of, in this uh, verse in Titus. I've never seen someone get sat down and say, you know what, you need to be opening up your home more for hospitality. Right? But it's in the same list. It's in the same exact list as holiness and not being drunk and having correct doctrine and all of that, that we should eagerly open up our homes, open up our tables, be people of hospitality. And here's why. Because hospitality is a sign of spiritual maturity. In the same way that holiness and and good doctrine and patience and honesty and being self-controlled are signs of spiritual maturity, opening up your home is a sign also. Being generous with your table in your life. Other places in scripture that talk about hospitality are in 1 Peter 4, 8 through 9. It says this, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to anyone without grumbling. It must have been a thing in the early church. They were so dependent on people opening up their homes. Hey, you better be hospitality. You better be hospitable and don't grumble about it. Don't be mad about it. Romans 12, 13 through 14 says, share, the, <clears throat> share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you and Bless and do not curse. I love that. Practice hospitality. <clears throat> so that's your homework this week. Practice hospitality. This is fun homework. Some of you guys that are like more introverts, you're like, no, no, <laughs> don't make me be friendly. Um, and I don't know what it means for your context, but I think what it really boils down to is having a generous spirit, being generous with our time, generous with our money, generous with our home. I think it boils down to loving people and being the first one to take a step socially to invite someone over, to invite them to join you at the football game on Friday night or whatever it might be. Practicing hospitality is being a community builder. And it doesn't always have to be at your house. When we moved here to start Alive, 
um, we decided to rent for the first couple years just to have our focus be on building the house, the Lord's house. And um, <clears throat> the house that we rented um, was great, but it just didn't have a lot of space for hosting large groups. And um, But we found a way to be hospitable. And during that time, hospitality for me looked a lot like, like I did a lot of play dates with people within the church and people outside the church. And so hospitality for me, it wasn't um, bread and wine on a table. It was like fruit snacks and goldfish on a picnic table at a local park. Um, you know, in the last year, we've, we've bought a house that does allow for large group entertaining, and that has been such a, a desire fulfilled, but it doesn't have to be at your table in your house. It doesn't have to be large groups that you're always having over. Maybe for your context, it's simply the invite, the invite for, hey, let's go for coffee at Panera at 7 before work. Or maybe it's meeting up for someone that's been on your heart at work for lunch, treating them to lunch um, while you're working. Maybe it's inviting people over um, on a Friday or a Saturday night to your home. Maybe it's being the house we talked about this summer, loving our neighbors. As our neighbors, <clears throat> Eric and I were just talking about this the other day, we want to start having an annual block party, and we want to be the one to host it. What, if it, what, what does that mean for you? Maybe it's you being the most generous and, and hospitable home on the street. Um, maybe God's calling you to be a foster parent or to host missionaries or to host students abroad or providing a bed and a home for an aging parent. Maybe it's getting in the habit of bringing meals to people who have just gotten out of the hospital or who maybe just had a baby. Or maybe it's setting up to be a crew leader, opening up your home midweek for people to come in and break bread and talk about Jesus and shout out for our crew leaders. Can we give it up for our crew leaders? Because <clears throat> you guys are living this, crew leaders, because there's a cost to hospitality. You got to clean your house. For us, that's the biggest cost. But there's a reward with it too, then you have a clean house. You got to clean your house. You got to make sure you got the paper products and the snacks and rearrange your schedule to make sure that it's a priority in your life. But man, the reward is so rich to follow the example of Jesus to open up your table for believers. Um, and it's about hospitality. It's not about entertaining. It's not about it looking perfect. There's some people that have the gift of hospitality. And when you are hospitable, it looks like Joanna Gaines. It looks like Pottery Barn. And good on you. But just because some have the gift, just like some have the gift of faith, but we are all called to believe God and exercise our faith, Right? Some people have um, <clears throat> the gift of serving, but we all are called to serve. Some people have the gift of hospitality, but we are all called to practice hospitality. So who is at your table? <clears throat> it's a both and. If this morning you're like, man, I've got all kinds of believers at my table. When I think about this past year, I am so good on the, you know, breaking bread with believers. Then I want to encourage you, who in your life 
is far from God that you can invite to your table. You know, evangelism methods of the past kind of used to be more like passing out tracts and these really blunt conversations with strangers, which have their place in time. But I really believe that to reach this next generation, it's going to take believers, us, inviting people into our life inviting them over for dinner, inviting them, hey, let's meet up at the football game. Hey, let's meet up for coffee or whatever it might look like. And maybe you're on the other side and maybe you're like, I've got so many relationships in the community, but man, I haven't been breaking bread with believers. Man, I wanna encourage you to get in a crew to really get deep in community. Don't just come on Sunday mornings, but break bread with believers. And we have so many options for that through crews. I'll end with this scripture. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which is lost. It's a scripture many of us know by heart. A good memory verse, right? And a lot of times we think that these type of scriptures are scriptures that Jesus spoke to a crowd. But Jesus spoke this one in a home and probably at a table. It was when Zacchaeus was in the tree, right? And, And Jesus said, hey, let's go back to your home. When we invite people to our table, It becomes a bridge. What an amazing truth that Zacchaeus got to hear from the mouth of our Savior around the table. When we invite people around the table and we invest in them relationally, it gives opportunities for truths like this, for doors of opportunity to open, for truths like these to be communicated. I personally don't believe that the world needs more opinionated Christians on social media. You know, there's some people that will grab the poster and stand on the corner, and I love their enthusiasm for the Lord, but I I don't believe that that's the way that we're going to save the world. Truly believe that Jesus is calling us to follow his method of breaking bread around the table with both disciples and believers and the tax collectors and the sinners. And I believe that we are that, and I believe that we can be that so much more here at Alive. Generous with our homes, practicing hospitality, both within our faith community and those that are so far from the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we love you so much. Lord, your example of hospitality, of discipleship and evangelism around the table. Lord, help us. Give us eyes to see, Lord, who's in our life that we need to be um, in relationship with around the table. Lord, give us open door opportunities for those invites for those relationships. Lord, if we're not engaged in faith community, Lord, give us the boldness to sign up for that crew or to join that Bible study. And if we're not engaging in relationships with people outside the church, 
Lord, give us, Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us to who you have placed in our life in this season right now that we can invite to our table and build relationship with. Lord, help us be a church of both and, where we are so committed to gathering in the temple and house to house with believers, but we are also so committed to having sinners and tax collectors and people far from God at our table in our life. Not that we would be influenced by their lifestyle, but that we would be a light, that we would be tangible love in their life. God, thank you for making us more like you, helping our table become a bridge for the gospel. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. With all eyes closed and heads continue to be bowed in this attitude and posture of prayer, if you're here this morning in person or you're joining us online and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to invite him into your life. What God we serve, that he doesn't care what's socially acceptable. He doesn't care what it looks like to be friends with us, but he chose you. never invited Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I want to encourage you, invite you to say this prayer along with me. Jesus, thank you that you want to be friends with people like me, that you came and died on the cross for me. So today, I declare you are my Savior and you are my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. To further connect with us at Alive, visit us at alivefamily.church. And remember, people matter and Jesus is alive.